is how you're supposed to live Wait a minute Don't you panic There is time now to forgive It is long overdue It is long from the past You were a string bee 
face Showing slides of the Grand Coulee Dam Can't you smell the ashtrays? Can't you smell the cheap perfume? The beers in giant cans And every Sunday before the air raid bells Your mama's nervous Steve. Hey. <laughs> so you know, I'm lis- I'm listening to those songs, and I'm you know I know you're one of the people that whose name comes up when we think about songwriters in Chicago, people who are doing interesting things with the form, and you're doing the classes and stuff, of course. Um, and I find interesting, you know, as I'm as, as you listen to the song, there's certain images kind of build up, and oh, there's there's air raid sirens, and oh, there's there's uh, what, sirens or ambulances, and there's kind of an image of, I could feel what's going on, but, you know, I don't, right. you know, if you asked me, you know, write a newspaper article about what happened, I couldn't tell you. Me neither. That's what I was going to say. How, mu- how much more do you know about well, I what's know a in lot that, more. these songs than I mean, what's all those being things, sung? All those things are real things, but they're not, it's not in any way linear. Uh-huh. So they're all real things from my memories, but they're not. There's, 
they're all from different times and places and different people. Uh-huh. But it's sort of like they all just sort of fit in. How, how do you decide what, what fits Whoa. together? I don't. It just happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just sort of like stream of consciousness or yeah. like, a, like a dream kind of thing. But you could go back afterwards and say, oh, that's... Right. No, this is a story my friend told me about, or this is something that happened when I was. There's 10 definitely or refining whatever. that happens after yeah. the fact of things that, well, that's not a, that doesn't flow well, or this uh-huh. things, but yeah. Do you do you keep like a, a bank of images and then put them together later, or do they all? I'm starting come to worry together? that I'm running out. <laughs> I've had a bank of images, but no, probably not. But I, yeah. I think when I get worried that I'm not going to write any more songs, that's the thing that worries me. I sort of used up all the interesting images that I that <laughs> I have in the, in the in the bank. Yeah. Well, you could like, steal them from movies or. I know, but TV they only work something. for me if they're real. So like, these are all images that you personally. Yeah, they're all things. Had. I think then I think that's why they register with me and with other people because they're real. They're real. They're not made up. Well, could, could you share, like, saying the last song? No. No, you won't. It's, that's a rule. I've told, people, I've told people before, like, what happened in that song, and they're like, yeah, I wish I didn't know that. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't want to ruin songs for people. Just, just between the no. 20 of us and the recording. <laughs> well, okay, the beginning part is true. Before I even remember... It's just a story that was told in my family that um, my granny lived on a second floor of a, and they had a, they had a balcony. Uh-huh. And the story is that my sister, who's four years older than me, she held me by my feet over the balcony <laughs> when, I was like, when I was like two. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was, you don't remember that, but that was a story that yeah. you, you remember. Yeah. I think it was true. <laughs> I don't remember, but I could have died at two <laughs> if she would have dropped me, but she didn't. Ah, okay. So that's yeah. How how about the air raids? The sirens were there air raids, or did I mishear that? They're sirens. The, the, is the air raid bell? You know, there's a tornado. You know, on every Tuesday at ten o'clock in Chicago, there's an air raid bell or a tornado. Is it a tornado bell? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's what made me think of that. Interesting. Because I used to show up to work at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays at the record store I worked, and the bell would go off. If I was on time for work, <laughs> I would be walking in just as that bell went off. And where it was at Grandin State was really close to wherever the source of that is. It was really loud. <laughs> so if I was just getting off the train when the bell went off, I'm like, damn it, I'm late. It was your personal But sometimes bell. I was in before the bell, so... That has nothing to do with the song. So that's, so you, I mean, so that's, do you, I mean, when you first write it, like the first draft, is it, is it more of here's a certain time and place and then you start pulling other things into it or they just come as you, as you write it? I will say, I mean, I try as much as possible not to think mm-hmm. linearly or logically when things are working correctly. So I don't. I think I would get into trouble if I started to think, well, this didn't follow that. This uh-huh. didn't fo- follow this logically. It just sort of like this image leads to this image leads to this image, and it just sort of follows a path. And when it works, it works well. And when it doesn't work, it's just a bunch of, it's a big mess. Are, are you good at telling when it's a big mess? Or? I think so. 
I think that's always? one thing that I've developed over whatever, however many hundreds of years I've been yeah. doing this. <laughs> that's one thing I've developed. Um, no, no, no. I've written many terrible, terrible songs that that went nowhere and made no sense. Do they have to make sense? No. No. <laughs> Good Lord, no. But how how do you know or do, how do you know now when you write a song you're like oh oh if it makes me feel yeah sorry. no I mean if like do you, when is there a certain point where you step away and now you're being more critical than when you were sort of doing the stream of consciousness of writing it or do you continue to kind of look no, at I'm it no I'm trying to do way? more of that yeah no if it works for me I get a little sort of like a little like you know a little. <laughs> a little choked up or whatever or a little like oh yeah that, that makes me feel something but if it feels like it's mechanical or like um, I'm trying too hard to th- sort of think it out uh-huh. that's when it gets like, like it gets really annoying to me like I don't want to do this anymore it feels like work uh-huh. so, so you, you enjoy you, al- you always enjoy writing a song? no <laughs> <laughs> but it's not work like no. <laughs> do you ever I mean, do you ever enjoy writing a song? Not really. <laughs> so why do you do it? I mean, do you enjoy? I was just gonna say something like um, blinking your eyes or scratching your head. I mean, I guess you do, but it just feels like something that I do, and it's you know what I mean. <laughs> Okay, you've been doing it so... Is it because you've been doing it so long, or was it always just something you no, I just used like to, needed to do? I don't know if I ever enjoyed it. Enjoyment is overrated, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. That makes sense, yeah. It's just something that I do. Uh-huh. And I get something out of it, I guess, because I keep doing it. I keep wanting to make a good song. You know, it's uh-huh. like I want... I want, okay, this is going to be the one that's actually good. So, you know, I'll keep trying. When you, when you say actually good, do you, do you feel that way about your previous songs? They're not I think good some enough? of them are pretty good, but there's, yeah. there's, yeah, there's some pretty good ones. There's always, but, I mean, I, there's always something wrong with every song. And could, like, do you find it? Do you go, oh, wait, that line, oh, In boy, the last I've been, one? I'm stuck with that what now. The only thing that's wrong in the last one is that the chords don't change. But I'm good with all the words in it. I feel a little guilty that the chords don't change. Have you thought, would you redo it? No. <laughs> How do you, it, once, it had a chorus at one time. And I think Diane told me to get rid of the chorus. And that was the right decision. It's it's it. I, I liked without that. It's just, it's just those events yeah. and without the chorus. Right. I thought so too. Yeah. No, it's better that way. See, the chorus was an attempt to make sense out of something that doesn't make sense. So, is is that what a chorus is for? It's well, like I summary? mean, in that, in that case, it was. Uh-huh. I th- I think we should do another song, and I should come back and pick your brain some more after that. All right. What do you want to hear? Talk talk to the audience. What do they want to hear? I should sing the song that's on the new Matt Brown record. You should. Yes, please. <laughs> Matt Brown just produced this beautiful record of Chicago-based songs and music with this incredible cast of musicians. What's the title of it? On Big Shoulders. On Big Shoulders. So I was like, 
I won the lottery by getting to sing, be the singer on it. And then I pushed my luck by saying, hey, what if you sang, what if we did one of my songs? And it worked. I wasn't, I wasn't fired. So it's, this is this is song. It's a country song. And this one, I swear to, I swear that I just started singing it one morning. And I, I got, I got the iPhone recording of it to, to verify that. Don't start me laughing. I'll only start crying. Why oh, this that up already? I'm gonna start again. Sorry. Edit that out when you do it on the radio, for sure. I don't think I've sung this since we recorded it. Don't start me laughing I'll only start crying I cannot seem to erase The things we used to do It's been a long time I'm really trying But I'm not quite ready to face A world without you Well, I'm standing in a bar With a few of my friends And the drinks and the jokes are flowing All I can think of is how best to say Gents, I must be going Cause all I want to do is get home to my room Before I fall apart I'm sorry friends but these nights always end with the sound of my breaking heart don't start me laughing I'll only start crying I cannot seem to erase things we used to do It's been a long time And I'm really trying But I'm not quite ready to face A world without Beautiful one.
So that's a forthcoming album that Matt Brown is putting out. Is that yes. right? How, how, how does one find out about it, Matt? On bigshoulders.com. Bigshoulders.com. All right. Um, and that one, you know, reminds me, I know that you've got kind of a, a background with, you know, some kind of country twinge type of stuff. And what role does things you say learn from country music have in, in your own songwriting? Ooh, good question economy of everything economy of language economy of chord changes getting right to the point um, beautiful melodies over simple chords uh, lots of there's a sort of stoicness to like the best writing of Merle Haggard and Hank Williams that like people who are being who's are sort of being emotionally destroyed but sort of like putting on a brave face that sort of thing yeah right. yeah I love that stuff do, do you have to feel emotionally destroyed to write a song of that type sure <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think so no but I think you have to have at some point yeah you have to be in touch with that part yeah, of yourself yeah I think so do, do you ever think I don't know if I want to write a sad song today, you, or you don't. You'll do it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's never a problem. I have to convince myself to write a happy song occasionally, although I can't think of any. <laughs> no, I think there's a couple. I just did an interview with Richard Milne on WXRT, and uh -huh. he said, "You're a pretty serious guy, aren't you, Steve?" I was like. I don't know. He's like, well, you don't write a lot. Of, there's not a lot of fun songs. It's like, yeah, nary, nary a fun number. <laughs> there's no girls just want to have fun in my catalog. There should be, but not yet. Uh, what is it? What's the appeal? What is it? The, what's the appeal of the sad songs? Oh man. Yeah, sorry, but you know. It, it just goes back to the songs that I loved growing up. Yeah. I mean, I loved the I loved the sad records, and mm -hmm. you know, I I just they just got me, and I always that's what I wanted to do, you know, like I wanted to feel that Neil Young way, uh -huh. you know, I wanted to go there, so yeah. So that's something you kind of always were you did you always want to be a songwriter? How long? When did since you I was a that? teenager? Yeah. Yeah. So Neil, Neil Young was that was that your guy or who were the the people? Yeah, you Neil were... Young for sure, Joni Mitchell, uh -huh. um, Van Morrison, Jackson Brown. There are some sad songs. Yep, yep. Beautiful, beautiful, literate, sad, sad, sad songs. And, and when did you pick up a guitar and say, I, Same "I've time. got some sad songs"? Well, I I started learning guitar in seventh grade. It was Miss Terry taught me guitar. She loved John Denver so much. <laughs> and I learned all the John Denver songs. And she, she was like a hippie, which is a rarity in Haley, Idaho. She was like an old hippie. I think she got fired pretty quickly because they just, they couldn't handle having a hippie on staff. But I was the beneficiary, is that the right word? Yes. Of, of having Miss Terry in the Idaho public schools for a, for a couple of years because she'd be like, now, 
when he sings about sunshine on his shoulders, he's really feeling that. He's feeling the warmth of the sun permeate his entire body. Let's just think about that. And, you know, most of the kids are like... But I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. She had just gone through EST training. Remember EST? And she did this whole thing about the hole. Like, she did basically like a little miniature EST seminar for a bunch of seventh graders. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. What, what is EST? I'm not familiar with it. It was something, Earheart maybe? Earheart okay. seminar training. It was like where they lock you in a room for like a, a weekend and you can't leave to wow. pee or anything like that. And so people pee themselves and then have these revelations of like how much they love everybody. <laughs> and somebody lectures we on... We should lock the door of the bar and do I this, know. right? And then people lecture about, you know, how we're all one or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah, it was good. Miss Terry. <laughs> I so think she had a lot of anger. <laughs> so I, do. I, I really do. She had a lot of anger, but she was a beautiful person. Uh-huh, right. Were there, uh, I mean, did your, were there other, any other classmates that were with you? And like, yeah, oh, my other, I love my, this My stuff. classmate, Curtis, and I, Curtis and... I don't remember Curtis's last name, but he took guitar with me, and we rewrote Leaving on a Jet Plane as I've Got Stinky Feet. <laughs> and that was the first song I ever wrote with Curtis, and we drew pictures of like how smelly the feet were. And we did that in study hall, and we got the, the there was this old Idaho like cranky like sub in, in or it wasn't a sub, it was a study hall, right? The teacher <laughs> hated us so bad. What did he call it? He's like, um, you guys pussyfooting back there or whatever. I can't. He was so mad. But we were back there writing stinky feet. So I mean, it was, it was they, important work. And they say you, you don't write fun songs. You get stinky. I know feet, that was right? really fun. That was the last one. <laughs> but it was pretty. Dra- it was tragic though because it's like I've got stinky feet. Oh my god. Oh my god. It stinks. You know, the paints. It was like. Oh, I have to remember how that was like. Yeah, it's like. So it was something. Like, oh, the paint's peeling off the wall. I hope the neighbors don't give a call. Already it's so smelly, I could die. That can't be all of it. Curtis's dad was a sheep farmer, and they lived. They literally lived in a um, a mobile home, and I stayed. I stayed over at Curtis's house a bunch. Uh-huh. His dad made really good eggs. <laughs> what's what, what's Idaho like? I, I. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful. It's stunningly beautiful, and it's messed up. But I did get. I did get the hippie guitar teacher. Uh-huh. Yep. Does it, I mean, does, does, it, does it influence you? I mean, like... Yeah, I think your, so. I don't know, your, your emotional palette with your songs, is it influenced by Idaho? Well, I'll tell you, we lived off on a dirt road far from, the, so there was two towns. There's Haley, Idaho, and 11 miles north of that, there's Ketchum, Idaho, and then like another three miles north of that is Sun Valley, the ski resort, right? So... 
We lived halfway between Haley and Ketchum off of this dirt road. So there's one highway and then a dirt road. So, I mean, I would catch the bus and go to school, take the bus home, and that's it. Like, nobody lived around me. So that's, I mean, I played guitar because there was nothing to do. I mean, I could go out and, like, throw rocks or something, <laughs> which I did that a lot. I did a lot of rock throwing. Uh-huh. I used to chase grasshoppers and catch them, catch them in my hand, and I'd see how many grasshoppers I could catch. I mean, that was pretty fun. This sounds in- fun. I invented a game because we had this giant wall where I would throw a wiffle ball against the wall and then try to catch it. I mean, it was just like, it was really boring. <laughs> My sister's four years older than me. She didn't want to have anything to do with me. She told me to stop singing some. She's like, what? she's like, you, you can't sing. She's like, you used to be able to sing before you could play guitar, because I would sing along with records or whatever. She's like, but I don't know what happened, but since you started playing guitar, you can't sing anymore, so just don't. Stop. Just stop it. Go back to your grasshoppers. Yeah, she's like, just cut it out. Because she had the room above me, so she was like, just stop. And I was like, I think I can't stop. <laughs> I need this. Yeah. Was, was, in, is Ketchum, is that where Hemingway yeah. was? And, and I think you might know the segue I'm, I'm working <laughs> on. Yeah, so yeah, the Hemingways lived uh, up in the, the mountains. I mean, it, the further north you get, the more you get up into the real mountains, and then the full-on mountains, the Sawtooth Mountains. So it's like, it was all, like, I think Haley was like 5,000 feet, and Ketchum was 6,000 feet, you know, so it was like this steady incline until... So I think Hemingway lived further up the mountain. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, it's, he's lived everywhere, right? Everywhere you go, it's like, oh, Hemingway lived there. <laughs> he lived in Idaho just long enough to kill himself, I think. Right, I think that was, that's the association. So. He, A ringing endorsement. And then his family all lived, moved there. Mm-hmm. Like, because Mariel Hemingway was, she went to the rich kid school, but she was my age. Uh-huh. So, oh, there were, you, they did not interact oh, with my God, no. the other people. No. <laughs> I think that was called Sam's School. It was named after Sam, some probably some billionaire <laughs> in in Sun Valley. They went to the rich kid school in Sun Valley. We went to the Idaho Public School in Haley. Did did it? Did it? I mean, um, this is more information I've ever revealed about anything. <laughs> <laughs> enough, enough for us to you know track you down. Well, huh? if you ever go back, we know where to find you. I guess to Idaho. No, yeah, I don't no. think it's even remotely the same anymore. Yeah. You, you apparently, Bruce back. Willis like bought the town of Haley or something. <laughs> I think that's true. Really? I know we used to, for PE, we had to run up the mountain behind the school. Like the teacher was just like, yeah, yeah we'll run up the mountain. <laughs> you know? And I heard that Bruce Willis bought that mountain. And is teaching PE now, for all we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, they also used to this is funny they'd be like they'd say oh yeah today for PE we're gonna play snow soccer and it'd be like basically it was just another thing where they'd be like yeah just go outside and play I mean the snow would be like up to here literally and you know we'd be in our shorts or our whatever and they'd just be like you know like this sucks but, but it had a name, so it was Snow a real soccer. activity, and you were good. <laughs> um, 
But I, yeah, I was I was hoping you could you could play the song about the it's uh, Ezra Pound and the uh, I forget it, it's a very it's Ezra Pound and the Big Wood River. Big the Big Wood River, River yes. uh, runs through the whole valley there. Mm-hmm. And we lived we lived on the river, and um, yeah. Ern- um, Ezra Pound was born in Haley, Idaho, oh. but there's no mention of it anywhere because he turned out to be a fascist. And a, <laughs> well, there might and still a, be hope to A Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> so he, you know, he's yeah. not, it's like the Confederate war statues. Right. They, they figured that out early in Haley that they shouldn't have any, maybe, maybe now they'd celebrate him, but at the time, at the time it wasn't cool to be a, a Nazi. How times have changed. <laughs> But now, right, Haley, maybe they got a statue of him now. (laughs) It's worth investigating. Apparently, later in life, Ezra Pound apologized. Like, he sort of came around, and he actually apologized to, um... Ah! No, I can't remember his name. Well, it it was part of him getting out of the mental hospital, though, I think, wasn't it? Was it? I think that's... Oh. The way he avoided... being tried for treason was that he ended up in a mental hospital. Oh, I didn't know I that I think part. in New York. And I think Allen Ginsberg used to visit to him. And that's maybe it. That's he apologized to Ginsberg. Well, if he apologized to Ginsberg... But I think I Allen Ginsberg thought it was a sincere apology because he... I mean, the thing about Ezra Pound, too, he was super brilliant and right. he... he, Like, he basically um, helped T.S. Eliot write The Wasteland right. and, like, edit, edited it and, like, he... Um, he gave seed money for James Joyce, I think. I mean, uh-huh. I think all this stuff. Yeah. I think you know he was this incredible. I think he translated of, from Chinese yeah. and you know, yeah, it was outrageous. Languages. So it's like it's a, you know, like people are complicated. So he had his his brilliant parts of that enabled all this amazing artwork, and then also this horrible part. So it's fascinating. This is, it should be mentioned on the statue that might be up yes. right now. The plaque. The plaque is going to be plaque. really lengthy. Yeah. I'll, let you, I'll let you go into the, the song right. then. This is long, you guys. I'm sorry. I sat in the front room for hours and hours With Tiffany, the one-handed cheerleader Her long red hair all tangled with mine The moon shone through her living room blind She stood on her tiptoes to kiss my cheek I could not breathe, I could not speak I sang that song at the top of my lungs But sooner or later the ending comes And it's too late, it's too late We're strangers in time So it's goodbye, 
summer past Grasshoppers Flickers may fly Skin was warm It was mid-July Through a sagebrush path To a giant rock Push away the banks Overhanging cottonwood trees Shading the shallows Dropping their leaves But it's too late It's too late We're strangers 
in a tower Blood still flushed with that big wood water Tiny white beard let from the mines Raving up behind enemy lines High on Skunkweed we skipped out of school To watch Mary Ellen swim in the Sun Valley pool Her grandfather's name, a useful scar At 17 years old she's a movie star I was tired, it was getting late You asked how long I planned to stay I threw down my bag and I kissed your face Got a lot of the backstory in the pre-interview segment. I know. I was I was excited about that, but that but I had to ask if you actually did go to try to watch uh, Muriel Hemingway. I saw her in the Sun Valley Pool once. <laughs> yeah, it was a formative experience. <laughs> um, she did not know who I was. She might be writing songs about you right now, for all you know. I don't think so. Don't think so. So when when did you write that one? Um, 2013. So I I guess I'm I'm wondering how long, you know what what is it that you've been you were writing songs for what a decade or two or so since at that point feet, a few, so a few stinky de- feet would have been in the 77. So 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 what what is it that leads you in you know. 2013 to kind of be processing images from your oh, childhood oh. In, 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 in Idaho. 
That's a good question. I had in the back of my mind, when I, I was reading a, a book of Ezra Pound poetry, and then they had a little biographical, bi, biographical thing in the beginning, right? Yeah. And it said he was born in Haley, Idaho. And I was like, what? <laughs> and this was not, I mean, this was relatively recently, sometime in the last 10 years. Because yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I went to school there. You'd think that somebody, like maybe an English teacher might have right. mentioned that, but no. <laughs> maybe they didn't even know. But, um, so I thought that was fascinating. And then, but he also, so then I researched it a little bit and they moved, his family left there when he was still pretty young. Uh-huh. So I thought, well, it's okay. So him as a baby or a toddler could have been wandering around in that same river that you know I spent so much time in. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I had the, it's a, it was an odd song because I had the concept for the song before I had the song. So I I wanted to weave in Ezra Pound and Haley Idaho and the Bigwood River and my memories of living there all into a song, and it. I had that that sort of note in my book for a long time, for a few years before I attempted it. But when I started thinking about the Funeral Bonsai Wedding record, uh-huh. I thought, ah, this could be the chance to actually do this weird conceptual thing that I wanted to do. You, you knew it would fit with a certain sound of a certain band Yeah, like that band is a little weirder mm-hmm, than Dolly Varden, right. so it seemed like a weirder con- concept could, could fly in there. Mm-hmm. Not that it couldn't have worked with Dolly Varden, but maybe not as, not as well. Well, you have yeah these sort of instrumental kind of yeah. breaks with kind of yeah. jazzy sort of things going right. on. Yeah, so it's a different. Um, so the notebook, what, what what shows up in Steve Dawson's notebook? A lot of lists. Yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there was a friend of mine that I said like, "Hey, how you doing? What have you been up to?" And he's like, "Just making lists." <laughs> <laughs> So I just like to say that, but it's never as funny as when he said it. So. It's a lot of lists. Um, to-do lists that I rarely... Well, I, I make it through my to-do lists eventually. Some of that, some song ideas, some... I don't know. I mean, what do people write in their notebooks? Are you, are you, do you, you, are you kind of, do you go through your day looking for things to put in a notebook? How much, how much of your living of life involves, oh, let me get this for a song or something like that? I don't know. A lot? No. No? Not as much as I probably should. Ah. So, so it's not like you don't. Do you have volumes? You don't have like volumes of notebooks at home. Well, I do. I have. There's hundreds of them that hundreds. go back to, yeah, to the 70s. But I don't. I think it takes me longer to make it through a notebook now. I mean, no. I just have hundreds and hundreds of these. You could sell I mean, autographed there's copies. There's a there. song. See, it's songs and then lists. You can, now you're gonna now you're gonna make me have you prepare a song from your note, you know, play a song from your notebook or something. Um, well, <laughs> I'll sing a song from the notebook. You'll do a song. Let's do a song from the notebook. I like this song. There's, I, a new, there's a, some new songs in here. Okay. I like some new songs. That would that would be that would be great. So is the notebook is the notebook mostly songs or, or, or images or both or, or, or what goes on? I want you know you're very you've, nosy. you've written you've written it's it's only because I haven't finished reading your book yet on the topic so well there's there's a song right. and there's a list so there are lists 
There's a lot of lists. There's a lot of songs. You weren't joking about the lists. I wasn't. Look, there's a there's sort of a calendar thing. Oh, thank you. This doesn't have a title. It might be called Rise Above. Hmm. That's could, kind of a cheesy title. We could do a vote afterwards for different okay, titles yeah. or something. Please. There's not much to this song, but I like it. I mean, like I said, I'm trying not to think or worry about this stuff. Oh, my sweet little one, there is nothing to be done. The past is never gonna change. There was no good choice either Inside the notebooks of Steve Dawson. Exciting. Very. Um, let's let's go back to to Idaho. When did when did you decide to get the heck out of Idaho? Well, that would be high school graduation. Uh huh. And um, I went to the Berkeley School of Music in Boston because uh-huh. that was the only music college that would take a guitar as a primary instrument at the uh-huh. time. Other than classic, I didn't play classical guitar. I just played guitar. So they they had a, they let you play. So what? 
what type of guitar? What well, they were like that? sort of more jazz guitar, okay. and I had been taking jazz guitar lessons from a, a guy in Idaho, mm-hmm. which is funny. <laughs> he was really good. He was really good. So, so you were you thinking of being a jazz musician? Yeah, was I was kind of really? going for jazz. Uh-huh. Weird. I loved I loved the jazz at the time. I still love the jazz, but I realized once I was at Berkeley for a little while that that was that was not going to happen. So what kind of what what jazz musicians were Ooh, you kind of you got your Kenny Burrell, Wes Montgomery, uh-huh. uh, John Coltrane, Miles Davis. Yeah, the, the the good the bop the, sort the of ones, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and what you just decided it was it wasn't your thing, or it just well, wasn't I mean, it, there were people that could play in the like play sort of within the style and had all this agency within chord changes uh-huh. and fluidity, like before they even got there. Right. Right. I mean, it was just like the the. And then you think about it, like, how much jazz guitar really is there? You know what I mean? As a, it was just like I could practice and practice, and I did. I practiced for hours, uh-huh. and then it's just like, you know, the guy two doors down in the dorm is like, <laughs> and I would actually to sort of like calm myself down after practicing for hours, I would sit and write songs, uh-huh. and then at some point, you know. I got hit in the head. It was like, duh, you big moron. That's what you should be doing. That's what you do. That's what you want to be doing. That's what I want to be yeah. doing, yeah. So did, did you finish there, or did, did you... No comment. I feel that I finished. You feel like you finished. You, you learned what you needed to learn at Berkeley School of Music. I feel as if I finished. Yeah, it's good. So... I, <laughs> So were you? Did you were you like doing you know jazz you know music theory by day and then sneaking out to open mics at night or how? Well, I was just singing songs for myself in the practice rooms. Uh-huh. I wasn't playing them for anybody then. Nobody. I was making tape recordings of myself and listening back and. And would your friends from Idaho have imagined you you know? Doing oh yeah, I was in some horrid stuff? rock bands in Idaho. So rock bands. And oh stuff. yeah. Okay. I was in some, made some of the worst music of all time. <laughs> we played at a high school dance, like, um, somehow I sort of cajoled the, the dance committee to have our band play the dance. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was a complete disaster. <laughs> we sucked so bad. <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> no recordings, though, huh? No, 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 no. And, and I, I'm not going to make you recreate that. <laughs> we did a lot of, you know, a lot of taking care of business, a lot of Steve Miller. Uh-huh. But, you know, really, like, nobody could tell you where the one was. Uh-huh. Or, oh, I, there's a really good story. This yeah. is going on far longer than I think you think it, it okay. should have. <laughs> Not true. So it's Idaho is a, is so uh, I was uh, I was in school with Darren Revere, who was Paul Revere's son, Paul Revere from Paul Revere and the Raiders. It's just a good band, I think. With a very good yeah, band, yeah. Good, like garage so um, rock, blues rock Darren band. was one year below me, so he was you know a year younger than me. So they're also from I- Idaho. 
I think there was a divorce and his mother moved okay. to Idaho. Yeah, I'm just impressed by how many people turned Paul out Revere, to from Idaho. <laughs> Paul Revere did not live there. Because right. we were practicing once, and Darren was super excited because his dad was going coming to visit, and he was going to come by the practice to hear us mm-hmm. and give us some, you know, some tips. Right. <laughs> so um, we were super excited. And, you know, we... We were, you know, all in the little our little practice studio, which was this off off the side of our garage. There was like this sort of like little skinny heated room off the side of our garage where we had the band set up. And so, you know, the the van, the like you know '70s painted van from with the LA plates pulls up, and Darren's like, "Ah, oh, my dad's here," and he gets out and he has he has the full on like you know beautiful California blonde locks and his his sort of trophy wife girlfriend or whatever and. Um, and he's like, hey, guys, how you doing, man? We're like, oh. And uh, we played one of our songs, and, you know, he's listening really intently. And we finish, and I'm sure it was just, I'm sure, just horrid. And uh, he's like, you guys, there's this, there's this thing they have now where you guys could all plug your guitars into it, and there's a little dial, and then you guys could all be in tune with each other. <laughs> and you should totally get one of those. Just saying. And we were like, that's a great idea. Thank you so much, Paul Revere. And then he left. It was good advice. Get a tuner from a professional. So that's where we were at. We were called Eyes with a Z, E-Y-E-Z. Oh, that's a good name. It's not. <laughs> it's good for an Idaho rock band, I think. Yeah. 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 So, so you're in the rock. Did you do any? <laughs> and then when you're in Boston, so you did you play any bands while you're in no. Boston? No. No. Did you ever use the get that tuner thing? Yes. Cool. <laughs> so, I learned to tune my guitar. That was big. <laughs> Miss Terry was not big on tuning, I don't think. She wanted you to be free. It was free, man. <laughs> <laughs> so so you go so you're in Boston, you're studying jazz by day yes. or, and and then writing at what songs point at night. You decide you it's more it's going to be about the, I mean you you explained I, it. I loved when Boston. did you actually step forward and I loved Boston as a city. I loved it. I loved the people there, and I loved the, the vibe, and Cambridge was awesome. And I was thinking of living, but it's so expensive to live yeah. there. Even in 1987, uh-huh. it was crazy expensive to live there. And it's very relative to, to Chicago, for sure, but to a lot of cities, it's very small. Mm-hmm. And there was the, the musician ratio there is so high because yeah. of... Boston Conservatory, New England Conservatory, Berkeley School of Music. Like, there are no gigs. <laughs> None. Uh-huh. Like, to even play for free. <laughs> it's just I mean, the only thing everywhere. I could, if I wanted to sing my songs, I could sing at, like, a church coffee house, like, once a month or something. I mean, it was, it was r- really like, yeah. okay, so if I stay here, I'm going to have to work a lot at a crappy job just to pay for an apartment so that I could play once a month. Mm-hmm. And then my friend, um, Nicholas Barron, who you, do you know Nicholas? Mm-hmm. He, he had moved here. I knew him from Boston, but he's like, dude, 
Chicago, there's gigs everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper to live. People are nice. Uh-huh. You should come here. And I did, and I stayed. And it's pretty true. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities to play music here. There's a lot of those people love music in Chicago. People come out to hear music. That's the other thing in Boston. It's like I'd go see like my teacher's band, and it'd be me and like one other person there. You know, it's like people just... We've had some nights here like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> well, sure. It still I mean, I sometimes. sure. No, I have too. But <laughs> on the whole, like people will go out to hear original right. music in right. Chicago. That is not the case. Yeah. That's a that is a that is a rare and wonderful thing. Interesting. Yeah, I think Austin, Texas, and Chicago are it. That's it. <laughs> uh, when when did you uh, so who who did you start playing with? What kind of music were you playing when you first hit Chicago? Um, then I was sort of like, it was an earlier version of what I'm doing now. Okay. Like, sort of like weird folk, Neil Youngy, Paul Simony. With bands or on your own? Uh, no, I didn't. I met a fiddle player at an open mic here and we started playing and then I met Diane who I uh-huh. shortly thereafter married, but we started singing, uh. She's a great harmony singer, and she could sort of harmonize with anything. And I was like, wow, we sound good. So we started, we were playing at the Ginger Man by Metro. Oh, yeah. We were playing there. We played the uh, Orphans uh-huh. and um, as a trio. And that trio was called Stump the Host from like 80, 89, 90, 91. We got a drummer. We got a bass player. We got an electric guitar player. It became more of a twangy electric band. And we got a lot of notoriety. We were like a we were a buzz band in buzz Chicago band. in the early '90s. And a good time to be a buzz band in Chicago, well, I think. Um, I don't know. It didn't really get us anywhere, but it it was <laughs> it was fun. There for must a little have while. been a moment where you thought it would. Though. Oh yeah, no, we were getting shopped to labels, uh-huh. and we uh, we got taken to lunch by a bunch of different record companies, and I got a publishing deal with Polygram Music. Huh. And they sent me to Nashville for a little while. So, yeah, that, that was all super fun. What's, uh, is there something from around that time that you still, that you still play or feel attached to that you could play Songs for Songs from now? then? Yeah. I'm sure there are. Or, or, I'll just give, or I'll just give you a freebie. How about we do, do another song? Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I remember any of those well enough it to play It doesn't have them. to be. You could, yeah, just let's, let's do another tune and I'm like... Okay. Well, now I wish I could remember a Stump the Host song. Must be some. Oh, I know. Here's one. This is a Stump the Host song that I like that I actually recorded on my first... I re-recorded on my solo record because I like it. Well, I stumbled upon you guessing to God Making the mortgage slopping the hogs I held my breath until you turned around Then I gave you a heart that Pounds. I 
That seems like a song that a 20-year-old would write, doesn't it? It's, 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 it's. <laughs> it could be, could be. <laughs> I, I was thinking about, um, well, just most of your songs, I, I've kind of, and I might be wrong, but yeah, I kind of feel something like similar to a lot of, say, short stories, and like ah. a Hemingway or oh. Chekhov or something, where it's wow. like, Jeez, well, but thanks. you have a sense of like, here's this moment, right. and I don't have to end it with the moment being fully completed and okay, everything yeah. like you kind thanks. of thanks we're walking away from it but this yeah. was that moment um yeah, yeah. is i don't know was that something you, you aim for to kind of capture a little Probab- piece of something probably. rather than like the grand thing you know yeah, yeah. i think so yes okay. <laughs> all right i got i got that one right yes <laughs> thank uh, you <laughs> uh well, how do you know, though? How do you decide your last line, you know? Was, Ooh, the last? Yeah. Holy smokes. Well, because I just, I think you have a sort of, they're like, it's a detail that maybe could be anywhere else in the song, oh. but then I've, I've been watching the people kind of before they, they there's a pause before the clap. Like, right. Is, that, is it finished? Oh, it's finished. You know, but it feels finished once you realize it's finished, but it's not mm. beating you over the head with it. And, uh, I was just wondering if that's something you try to cultivate or it just comes naturally or what. I think it's when I've run out of things to say. It's like the song's over. Well, but which is, but you're running out at the right time then somehow. I How guess do you, so. You just, you just feel it's just an intuitive it just feels, thing? Yeah, yeah, feels right. 
Um, and so, you know, and, 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 you know, you've written about music, you teach music, and, uh, but I think you have a very intuitive approach yeah. to writing. So yes. how, how, do you, how do you teach that to a class? How, what, are your, what are your songwriting classes like? There they are now. There they are. <laughs> but there's not room for them on the stage. It's so more like to... um, encouraging, right? Uh-huh. Not as opposed to teaching. Okay. Encouraging. And what? Keep I... doing that. Uh-huh. Maybe don't maybe don't do that so much. So what do you tell people to keep doing? The stuff that works. How do you know what, <laughs> how do you know what works? You just do. You, you just tell. do. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Does that seem right? <laughs> Has there ever been anybody where it's like, oh no, they're not this person doesn't have it. What are we gonna do? Well, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about <laughs> Do people surprise you sometimes, though? Oh, my God, yeah. every single week, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, uh, and what, what, what kind of keep, you know, like, I, I've, you, you hear about writers or, or comedians, who, they don't want to listen to other people's material while they're writing their own because they're worried they're, like, no, going to pick up parts. You ever worry, like, oh, I'm getting influenced by this, you know, hearing this other thing or something like that? I get... I can occasionally see other people in the classes stuff showing up in songs. Yeah. But I don't know this I used to feel bad about that, but I don't feel that bad. It's not like it's stealing, it's an influence, it's more like a vibe thing. Uh-huh. Like that song that I played this. That's the Tom Rect strum. Mm-hmm. He's one of the, he's a guy that's been in class a bunch of times that Tom. <laughs> so I was like, it's a Tom Rect strum. I'll just go Tom Rect. So I don't know, it's stuff like that. I mean I think it's, you know, it's creativity is this sort of like electrical force so it's not like stealing right and i'm not stealing but being inspired by others right. creativity yeah yeah and uh do you find yourself writing differently since you've been teaching it well hopefully it's gotten better and i've taken some of my own advice occasionally <laughs> what's your advice um to use specific imagery use real things that have emotional truths um it doesn't have to make sense, maybe. I don't know. What is my other advice? I've done some of my own assignments occasionally, and that works. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What, so, like, what are some of the assignments you would give to the class? Um, well, one of them is to write a, a blues, a 12-bar blues that doesn't sound like a blues. How do you write a twelve-bar blues? Well, you use that like chord progression, but right. you use inversions or different or major chords or major seventh chords or some I'm, minor chords. I'm curious. Can you can you give an example? Right well, now? The, just... there's a song of mine that's just like. I'll just do one verse of it. Or do you want to do all of it? We could do not really. One. Okay. <laughs> well, my great grandfather left Saskatchewan. For California Yeah, my great-grandfather left Saskatchewan For California For the warmth of the sun And the smell of the ocean Twelve bars Right? So that's a blues form that sounds nothing like a blues. It just sounds like a pretty song. Is that when you get to the, what is the, the, 
the third chord or whatever is different, right? Yeah. Well, right, yes, you're not doing... You're not... But Paul Revere and the Raiders might have liked that. <laughs> um, so, so then, uh, and let's talk a little bit about uh, Dolly Varden. How did, how did they come together? So Stump the Host ended in like 93-ish. We just sort of had personnel issues. But Diane and I knew we wanted to keep singing together. And so we, th- and we were a little bit weary of the sort of country-ness of it. So we wanted to have a band that was more expansive stylistically. So we started auditioning musicians, and um, we fished around for a while, and then in 95, it sort of coalesced with the right people, and the right, I sort of like latched on the right bunch of songs, and we made our debut album and um, in 95, and it, it felt really good. So that was, yeah, that's how that, that happened. Let's... Um we probably got room for about probably about two more songs. Can we okay. make, let's do a Dolly Varden song, and, okay. and I'll come back and we'll we'll see what happens. I'll I'll think of something to investigate about you. So I wrote this song as a country song um, in sort of Merle Haggardish style, and then Diane sang it on the record. She sang it really good. I see your face All is not well You try to hide it away But it's easy to tell You stick to your guns Even Say 
Yeah.